Welcome. Easter, Good Friday service. It's, I find Good Friday always a, a, a somber time. Um, when you get up and you begin to travel to church or get ready for church, it's just a wonderful time of remembrance of, of what Christ has done for us. And uh, I just find it such a beautiful day. Let's just open up in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that we come to remember. We thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection. We thank you that you are a substitute and paid for our sins on that cross. Father, as we just take time this morning to remember and to look into your word for a few minutes, Father, we ask that you might encourage our hearts and strengthen our faith. Resolve in our hearts to live for you each and every day in a world that is bent on going in in an opposite direction. Father, help us to understand how to reach this world and to continue to pray for the people around us and present to them a different message, a message of love, a message of a God that cares for them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as Jesus journeyed to the cross, there were 12 men that that journeyed with him. Now, I don't know if they completely understood what they signed up for when they agreed to join or not. I think not. This past week in the family brief, we took some time to discuss Judas. And I wondered if Judas's expectation when he joined up was much more in the concept and idea of a rebellion. And when it didn't go as expected, Judas then began to cash out a little bit, making some money first from dipping into the community purse, and and then later turning Jesus over to the, the Jewish leaders seemed like a good idea to him. As for the other 11 men that were on the journey together with them, some we know more about than others. Three show up many times. There's James and John, the sons of of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder. Now, I like that. Sons of thunder. I I could picture being a son of thunder and and having that logo on a t shirt or on the back of a jacket. They had great names. And then there was Peter. And And as appealing is to have a jacket with sons of thunder on the back, Peter is much more relatable. I find I can relate to Peter's faults, to how he meant to do so well and sometimes messed up, and how Peter would get sort of the the horse or the cart before the horse and, and, and get ahead of himself, and how the Lord would correct Peter, but that didn't deter Peter. Peter as a man would, would continue to move forward, continue to do things. Uh, He he didn't give up easy. Well, this morning, as we remember, I want us to journey a little bit with with Peter as Peter journeys with Jesus towards the cross. See, Peter was a working man, part of a, a fish cooperative. His father was likely involved, but we know he was involved in this fish cooperative with his brother Andrew. And with the sons of thunder, James and John. The business was located in Capernaum, about 
seven to eight kilometers southwest of his hometown of Bethsaida. We know that he lived with his his wife in a home and and possibly his mother-in-law. And it was his brother Andrew who introduced him to Jesus. If you were to read the first part of the Gospel of John, you'll see that Andrew and another disciple were out listening to John the Baptist. And as they were listening to John the Baptist, Jesus walked by. And as Christ walked by, John proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God. You can see that in John 1.36. With that, and this is kind of humorous, with that, John and Andrew, or, or Andrew and the unknown disciple, leave John. And they begin to follow Jesus right away. And after listening to him all day, Andrew sought out his brother Simon, Peter. Andrew begged Peter to come with him to, to meet Jesus. Read this in John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, And remember, this is even before Jesus has called Peter to be a disciple. He looks at him and he says, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas and Peter are from the word rock, rock, one in Aramaic, the other in Greek. And the call to follow Christ didn't come until chapter 4. We read this in chapter 4 of Matthew. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fisher of men. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The journey to the cross for Peter had begun. Jesus chose a fisherman from Galilee, not a famed scholar, not a young rabbi. Uh, Peter's education was limited, like most children of his age or of his time, to instruction in the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, the Torah. But Jesus was about to mold Peter into a fisher of men, into a leader, becoming a rock to the early church. Peter, along with the other 11 men, would be witnesses of confrontations, of crowds. They would listen to the teachings of Jesus. For three years, the men would cry and they would laugh together. They would eat and they would sleep together. Peter soon would become the spokesman of the band of 12. And we see that in the story recorded for us in Matthew 16. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew 16. The majority of our time will be in the book of Matthew. And that, as we look at Matthew 16, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 to begin with. That is known as the great confession of Peter. Starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, 
speaking for the twelve, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The most complete confession of who Christ was to this point. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ in the Greek is anointed one, Messiah. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Since those words were first spoken so long ago, who is Jesus? Rings throughout the ages. Each person has to answer that question, but who do you say I am? And mankind has grappled with that answer and that question ever since. The answer to that question has eternal consequences. When asked of Peter, Peter answered it correctly. But now Peter's understanding was about to deepen. Moving ahead to Matthew chapter 24, it records for us the, the Olivet Discourse. And in Matthew chapter 24, it talks about it, it, that discourse comes at the end of a very long day. Teaching Tuesday. He had spent all day teaching in the temple. And in the evening on Mount Olivet, he has a private discussion with his disciples. The discussion concerned the things to come. And as Christ taught, conspicuously absent from the teaching, was this idea of a rebellion. Author Daniel Darling sums up Peter's likely thoughts when this finished, when this discourse finished, when the teaching was done this way. One night, Jesus gathered them at the Mount of Olives and communicated his vision for the future of Israel and of the disciples' movement into the world. If Peter was looking for an immediate revolution against their enemies, he surely came away disappointed. But Jesus talked of both his impending death and of a second coming, this time in judgment. If all, though, if all, if all these centuries later, Christians seem perplexed by the future. Imagine how the disciples felt on that chilly night. And in Matthew 26, where we'll spend much of the remainder of our service, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had finished teaching the disciples all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. That brings us to the events covered this week in the family brief. That brings us to what is known as Monday, Thursday. See, the word Monday is simply Latin and it means commandment. It's a reference to the instructions that Christ gave to his disciples at the Last Supper, at the Passover meal. And it's, it's from this Passover meal that some traditions in Christianity find the tradition or derive the ordinance of foot washing. Let me read you just from John chapter 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should be just, 
you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, foot washing is a ceremony, and it's, it's often tied to communion, but not always. And there's nothing wrong with foot washing ceremonies. If you ever, ever have the chance to participate in one, I'd encourage you to do so. I did, and when I did it, I found it one of the most humbling things. But that's the point of it. To wash another's feet is humbling. Now, not all churches practice foot washing, and and certainly they don't refer to it as an ordinance. They simply call it a ceremony. Uh, Those who hold that it's not an ordinance cite back to the fact that there's little evidence that it was ever practiced in the early church. But that sets the the scene for us of what was happening that night. And at the Passover meal, as they move through it, Jesus then institutes the Lord's Supper or communion. And we're going to celebrate that later in the service. But prior to the institution of the ordinance of communion, Jesus reveals to the twelve that one of them will betray him. And the proclamation disturbs the disciples. And each of them begin to ask, is it I? Is it I? In Matthew 26, 25, Judas would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. The the significance of this little interaction between Christ and Judas is lost on the other disciples until a much later time. Fast forward to verse 30 with me of chapter 26 in Matthew. Now we're at the conclusion of the Passover meal. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's a quote from Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. And That book of Zechariah is just full of messianic tones. Verse 32, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I love Peter. Peter doesn't even let Christ finish. He couldn't wait. And he interjects and he interrupts and he proclaims his allegiance. They might run, Lord, but not me. I'm staying. You can, you, you can count on me, Lord. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So when Jesus disagrees with Peter, Peter doubles down. I will die before I deny. Not to be outdone, the rest of the disciples, well, what else could they do? They all chimed in. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I want to introduce you to Matthew chapter 10, verses 32, 33 here. Just listen. I think it's important we talk about them before we move forward in our timeline because we need to square those verses, which were 
a previous statement of Christ with this prophetic verse of, Peter, you're going to deny me. So Matthew chapter 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So when, when Peter denies, does he lose faith? Does he lose his salvation? No, I don't believe so. Peter failed, yes. As, as many followers of Christ do. Peter slipped up. But before judging Peter, I think we need to look deep into our own lives and ask some questions. How many times when you should have stood up for Christ, at the moment you could have stood tall, you shrink into the shadows. You bend when you're asked to compromise because the flavor of our culture no longer holds on to one man, one woman for life. Or you begin to believe a form of dualism to disassociate your body from your spirit, which is presented both in, in um, the gender theory movement. We've got to beware. How often do we slip in these ways? When faced with a challenge to your moral compass, do we always make the right choice? See, I believe Matthew 10 is not a reference to our lack of courage at times or misguided choices that lead us to sin. Jesus never mentions a loss of salvation for Peter. Matthew 10 is a reference to how we deny Christ by how we live. See, there are many that proclaim the name of Christ, but their, their life never measures up. I'm not speaking about perfection. What I'm talking about is a genuine love for Jesus Christ. A genuine love for people around you. A genuine love for the Word of God. A willingness to submit to His authority even, even when it's not convenient. Even when submitting to Christ means you're going to live counterculture. It means holding on to an orthodoxy, not a new way of interpreting Scripture that conveniently makes you more popular or acceptable to the world around you. It means not overemphasizing one aspect of God while ignoring other attributes of His character so you seem to fit in to the culture. So before we condemn Peter, we need to look at our own lives. We need to ask ourselves that question. Our scene changes. It changes from the Mount of Olives now to Gethsemane. The olive grove. And possibly owned by Mark's family. We're talking about John Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Matthew chapter 26, picking up in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there to pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, our our sons of thunder, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus becomes greatly distressed and overwhelmed. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. There's an expectation by Jesus. He knows that they are coming for him. Verse 39, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, And again for the second time he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he went and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Notice this time, he just leaves them sleeping. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I'm unsure how you view Christ was praying here, but I don't think it was the quiet type. I don't think we can really appreciate the struggle that he felt. The struggle was real. And it was great. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. Facing the cross, a cruel form of execution. And as he was praying, Luke tells us in chapter 2, 22, verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And you can see the struggle in his prayer. If possible, let this cup pass from me. It is as if his humanity was crying out. Is, is there another way? But notice the second time he prays. If this cannot pass, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. American theologian A.T. Robertson wrote this about the struggle. But now the Master is about to taste the bitter dregs in the cup of death for the sin of the world. He was not afraid that he would die before the cross. Though he instinctively shrank from the cup, but he instantly surrendered his will to the Father's will and drank it to the full. What a solemn moment. What a struggle in prayer. And then he goes and he talks to the disciples and says, look, it's at hand, guys. Wake up. And as he's talking to them, they're interrupted. It's interrupted by Judas. And what amazes me most about this encounter with Judas is how nonchalant Judas seems to be. Look at verses 47. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs 
from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. So it would be dark out. He wanted to make sure that they're the right person. So he has this arrangement. Verse 49, and he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. I can only imagine what was going through the mind of Peter at this time. Surrounded by a small army, Judas greets Christ with an affectionate kiss on the cheek. I get that it's cultural, but every time I read it, I cringe at the thought. The kiss of death. And that's where that saying comes from. This was the kiss of death. Verse 50, And Jesus said to him, Friend, Do what you came to do. Jesus doesn't flinch. He's voluntarily giving himself up. Now Matthew's account is is not as detailed as John's, but it's Peter that decides to act on the promise that he gave to Jesus. Then they came and laid up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, he drew his sword, and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scripture be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left and fled. They're gone. And Jesus is alone with those who came to arrest him. Now, it's important to note that in Matthew's account, he does not record the first trial of that evening. The first trial occurred at the home of the former high priest, Annas. Matthew picks up at the second trial, which was just as illegal as the first trial. It was done at secret and it was done at night. Verse 57, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Peter's courage had returned, at least a little bit of it. Peter sat outside as a sham of a trial took place inside behind closed doors with false witnesses and false accusations. Jesus sat silently as they accused him. Picking up at verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What is your judgment? They all looked at each other and they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit on his face and they struck him. And some slapped him saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? And so begins the abuse. As Jesus was accused of blasphemy inside and tensions were high, Peter is outside with his own struggles. Verse 69, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And then immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Just as Jesus said, Peter denied him three times before the rooster crowed. And with that, Peter exits and he weeps and he begins to lament over what he has done. Self-confident Peter, perhaps even a little arrogant at times, when he jumped to the front of the line to proclaim his unyielding allegiance to Jesus, he denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter caves. The warning for those who are willing to see it is loud and clear here. You can either sit in smug judgment of Peter and his actions, or you can ask yourself, what would I have done? Would I have been strong enough to stand true to my faith? I mean, it's easy from our vantage point to lecture Peter, to look at his actions and say, well, you should have known better. But what would you have done? What if, what if standing up for Christ cost you? It cost you a promotion or a job. What if obedience to the Word of God cost you with your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, or with civil authorities? What will you do? There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that stand for Christ, and it costs them. The truth of the gospel costs them their lives, costs them their freedoms. The one whom Peter denied would soon hang on a Roman cross. On that cross, he would pay for Peter's sin, he would pay for my sin, and would pay for the sin of all those who come to faith in him. See, Christ voluntarily substituted His life for our lives. Willing to pay the price of sin. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For our sin, we deserve death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's amazing. The sacrificial love of Christ that brings us together this morning in remembrance. Romans 5.8, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were far away from God, God took the first step towards us. He made provision for our sin. That's why we celebrate this morning. That's why we come together. Let's pray as we remember Christ's love shown to us this day so many years ago. After the prayer, we'll sing a song and then we'll prepare to remember His death by participating in communion. Father in Heaven, we thank You. We thank You for the life of Peter. The events that show us no matter whether we fail and where we mess up, that we have not moved beyond Your love and beyond Your saving. We thank You for Your kindness in our lives. As we think of the cross this morning, we think of Your substitutionary death on it. That that payment for sin opens up for all who will believe eternal life. Father, may this morning as we remember strengthen our faith. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that does not know You as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, they will take time today to reflect, to think of the cross and and, and what happened there, to think of the fulfillment of the Messiah and how the Messiah came to be the suffering servant, to die on a cross, opening up forgiveness for us who will believe and in eternity with Him. That they might think of that question, but who do you say that I am? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.